Is 5th edition the only RPG you should play, or is it infinitely hackable to represent all sorts of different genres? We're going to find out right now. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Eldritch Lawcast, your favourite D&D and tabletop role-playing game podcast. I'm Ben Byrne and I'm here as always with Sean Merwin, Dale Kingsmill, James Hake. James, can you remember what is the best Christmas gift you have either given or received? Um, certainly the most influential one I ever received was a gigantic Lego set of um, a, <laughs> it was, it was Harry Potter, and the chamber of secrets. It was, it was the chamber of secrets. Oh, that's um, cool. And that Lego set formed the core of so many like proto D and D uh, role playing like games for me, something about the, the fantasy and, you know, I'd have my bionicle figures kind of tromping through it all. Um, it was, it, it was just such perfect make-believe. For me, mm. and it's it's a it's a feeling that, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of constantly chasing mm. <laughs> by by making stuff like this, or or at least uh, hoping to give other people the same kind of feeling. For sure, for sure. Uh, Sean Merwin, best Christmas gift you've either given or received. Oh, going back to my childhood, my brother and I received a pinball machine. Now it wasn't a big, beautiful electronic pinball machine. It was sort of the best pinball machine that you could make and put together for like $5. Uh, but it was still, <laughs> it was a stand-up one. You could stand on it. The flippers worked. It went up the machine and it kept score. So it was kind of cool in that way. And then my brother, at least probably less than two weeks into our owning it, took it all apart because that's how he works, but could not put it back together again. So it was the shortest-lived oh but most exciting Christmas gift I'd ever received <laughs> at that point in my young life. Very nice. Dale Kingsmill, best gift you've either received or given. I feel like I've received a lot of great gifts and probably given very few excellent gifts. Uh, it's something that stresses me out, but I have to say the gentleman He's been here in the background the whole time. I don't, <laughs> I don't know ah. whether he's in the rectangle on YouTube. So sorry to listeners on uh, on audio only methods. Oh, the, we've got it. We've got it. Tuesday. I got to go and get. I got to yeah, go get the get standee, him? and people can describe it to to the listeners. All right, here we go. <laughs> Good lord, man! <laughs> this is. <laughs> This is it's, uh, it's a meerkat. Yeah. Uh, so this is it's a this it's is, a, um it's a stuffed meerkat is what I have always seen. Yeah, that's that's what people are like. Do you have a taxidermied cat, a mummified cat in your background? No, this is the gentleman. Um, he he's an art piece uh, by an artist called Hip Hip Decay. Um, it's, it's made from old repurposed, like it's, it's sort of nice things that are old enough that they would have been thrown out. So, right. so it's like old music sheets and lace and, and sort of things like that. And he's been turned in, you, you can see he's got sort of, um, pantaloons and boots and a scarf on here. If I turn him around, he's kind of, uh, he's kind of dressed like a pilot. And, uh, and I, I... <laughs> immediately fell in love with this thing it's so creepy uh <laughs> and just so delightful and it gives me such a bizarre sort of positive energy see his little tail on the back he's uh i mean according to to the information on the hip hip decay website is um is meant to be a stoat and my parents saw him at a restaurant they went to and asked whether <laughs> where it came from and whether it was for purchase and the people said actually it'd be great if you bought it because we actually had to move it into this room because a child was scared of it <laughs> um so they sold it to my parents and uh i immediately fell in love and i think that was either last christmas or the christmas before I don't, yeah one of those anyway i love the gentleman and uh, it is one of the greatest gifts i have ever received so thank you for coming to my ted talk <laughs> i'm obsessed I just with him yeah. Just as long as you know, Dale, that he's creepy, uh, I'm glad that, uh, like, yeah. if you had been like, he's so cute, he's adorable, I just want to hug him all cute, the time. But he is cute, but also creepy. Like, that's the thing, is that two things can be true. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. I am mm-hmm. sad that there is no the gentleman in the monster grimoire now. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, could be... that would have been so good. Yeah. That could be Dale's next uh, blog post for the Ghostfire Gaming blog is uh, the gentleman's stat block. Uh, we need a stat like block war. for the gentleman, for sure. <laughs> oh, no, no. If, if if it has a stat block, you can kill it. You can't kill the gentleman. He's- okay. Exactly. Well, so the gentleman's like Very the true. beast is what I'm hearing. You know, yeah, he's just this existential. <laughs> yeah, right. People go mad if they look into the gentleman's eyes too long. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I also like I the the image has the image the the statue the whatever you want to call him has a name uh but i never use it i call him the gentleman because i feel like there's something a bit fey i feel like yeah you should never tell anybody what the name is uh just so that like because if anybody learns its real name then they can also control the gentleman uh yeah and then i would be in great danger yeah Um, I got, when I was younger, a Game Boy. It was one of the big, it was a green one. It was a big brick uh, of a Game Boy. You could have taken someone out with it. Um, But it was my brother's before it was mine. So it was a a hand-me-down and it was a birthday gift actually from him. But my birthday's around Christmas, so uh, it counts. Um, But what (laughs) reminds me of it, uh, first, a, a little bit what Joey said. It was my introduction into video gaming as a hobby, which became like a massive thing and, and is very influential on the way that I like to tell and engage with stories um, in the role-playing space. But also it had this really long, like two-page contract that came along with it and basically stipulated that the previous owner of the Game Boy could always have access to the Game Boy whenever they wanted. So it was a bit of a, uh, a very, very lovingly given, but a bit of a, it came with conditions, which always stuck with me as, as something funny. What um, a setup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a con. <laughs> Um, but, uh, speaking of giving things away and Christmas gifts, uh, there is actually something that you can go and get right now, um, from Ghostfire Gaming, which James, I'm sure you'll be very excited, uh, to be able to announce is the first chapter of the first episode, uh, of Fables, uh, Citadel of the Unseen Sun. It is available for download right now. Anybody can get it to preview, uh, Fables. The link, uh, is just below. So go, uh, if you're on YouTube or it'll be in the show notes, if you're listening to this on, on Spotify or iTunes, it'll be in the show notes. So you can grab that link, uh, and go and download it. James, what can you tell us about this? Uh, because you designed this, this initial dungeon, didn't you? This was, uh, something you designed. The the thing you will know from the very uh, from the very outset of this fable, if you play through this chapter, is that death is not the end. <laughs> <laughs> we we are we are throwing you in the deep end with the beginning of this fable. Uh, what may seem like a standard dungeon crawl uh, will soon reveal itself to be anything but. And mm. that you and your players will be in for an adventure, the likes of which you may never have seen before. Mm. The thing I really liked about it, reading through it again without giving too much away, but to, to tempt DMs and players, is the uh, trap design in there. None of the ah. traps, and this was something I wanted to talk with you about a little bit, actually, is the traps are not like sprung and done. Uh, which is my new catchphrase for traps that I'm trademarking right now, sprung and done. Um, they're very interactive, you know. They're very, like, you need to... So, like, they're a, a puzzle and a trap kind of mixed together rather than mm-hmm. just being something that's a gotcha against the players. Is that kind of your approach to trap design, is generally keeping it open yes. and, and engaging? Yes, I have actually very strong opinions on trap design. Um, and they, they stem from my strong opinions on, get this, hit points um and they 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 come out of video games so let me take you down my sort of mind rabbit hole a little bit when i promise you will get back to traps um, <laughs> have you ever played doom yes no okay doom in in essence first person shooter the kind of prototypical first person shooter um and you are basically like a space marine who uh, murders a lot of demons basically um, in Doom and in a lot of uh, shooter games that have followed it, there's two types of weapon damage. There are projectiles, which move in real time, and there's hit scan, which instantly hit you. Um, 
in uh, with a hit scan weapon, as long as the enemy's aimed properly, you are going to take damage because it's instantaneous. Mm. They point at you, they hit the shoot button, you're there. With a projectile, you can dodge out of the way, or you can shoot it or something else. Um, I hate this. I hate hit scan weapons a lot um, because to me, taking damage should always be uh, your fault. Um, and uh, a, a weapon that doesn't give you a chance to uh, roll out of the way or something that doesn't kind of show you, uh, something that doesn't give you a, an intellectual opportunity to overcome it isn't a very fun challenge. Um, and so traps that are just like, oh, you didn't search for traps every 10 feet of the dungeon. I'm going to take off some of your hit points. It's like, what? <laughs> hit points to me are a measure of how many times you can screw up before you're dead. And if mm. the damage didn't involve a screw up on your part, then what are we using hit points for? Mm. Yeah, um, that's good. Yeah. That's an interesting way to, to think about trap design because um, the Angry GM has uh, an article where he talks about uh, taking inspiration for traps from the Dark Souls games, specifically mm. because the way that those uh, sort of, you know, areas are designed and the way that traps are designed in that game um, do this thing where they like they signal to you oh look you can see that there's a crossbow in this rubble it misfired like it, it, it was empty that part of the trap didn't work but you know that it's there now and so mm -hmm. you can kind of try to sort of collect clues in order to figure out oh never step on the red tiles or whatever you know mm -hmm. like for for a poor example but um yeah no there's a whole article about that that i i know that the agro gm's a bit of an acquired taste but uh but i think that that article in particular is very very worthwhile if you're interested in trap design dark souls is a really interesting game to bring up because uh it it, it does one thing really very differently from how tabletop games do it which is mm. it expects you to die and learn by error a lot mm. But it, uh, it is, in many ways, a remarkably fair game. It shows you its whole hand. Uh, it, all of the bosses have these really big wind-up attacks, and they do a really good job of telegraphing what they're about to do. The traps are, are, are kind of shown to you beforehand. And hypothetically, a hypothetical person who uh, is incredibly observant and has tremendous reflexes could probably beat Dark Souls first try without dying. It's unlikely, but, but the tools are all there for you. Um, and in tabletop games where you do not have the benefit of a save file and multiple tries, and if you're dead, you know, you're, you're dead. Um, those sort of telegraphs are really crucial to building in a good game experience, especially at low levels. I find where people are made of paper and they just mm. die instantly. Mm. Yeah. Another yeah. good writer of trap knowledge is Greg Marks, who has mm. written recently, uh, blog posts for Ghostwire Gaming. He did a series on traps for Cobalt Press, and uh, a lot of what we're talking about he also covered. Uh, and I think both uh, James and Dale have come up with good explanations. And I can only add on that you don't want traps just to take your hit points because that's no, no fun. And you can get hit points back fairly easy uh, in D&D. You want there to be story elements. You want them there to be other uh, challenges with a trap other than just it takes my hit points away sure yeah. the one thing uh speaking of influential people on trap design or at least the way that i run trap design there was a video from someone online called dale kingsmill uh who did uh a video on traps who? a little while ago <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> sorry, sorry to embarrass you. Now. Um, no, but Never heard of I, I thought that this was very, I, you know, for the whole video, the one thing that really stuck with me to this day that I still remember is the idea of click, um, where when somebody that's steps what I on stole the, from the angry GM as well. Right there, you go, there you go. So there you go. It, the DNA the travels article. down through. It's this yeah. idea that like when a trap is triggered, if the players didn't detect it, they get a click. Something kind of like they hear a sound. They hear something winding up. They hear you know a spell. Uh, you know warming up. Yeah, this this uh, you know they smell something in the air. Maybe whatever you describe to them, they have like a reaction's worth of time to quickly do something, they throw themselves at the ground, they throw themselves against the wall, they pull their shield out in front of themselves, and the GM can decide to allow them to have advantage on a saving throw or they avoid the trap entirely, 
And I really liked that as just a simple way. I mean, it is a very like sprung and done trap. Um, you know, that, that's where I think of this coming into effect for the most part. But it allows players to make an, an informed decision into the trap and try to avoid it based on the description that the GM gives them. And if they don't avoid it, then it is kind of their fault, you know? Like if he's saying, oh, yeah. something up above begins to like you hear a, a rumbling sound and they drop to the ground, well, maybe they're going to have rocks fall on top of their head. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it just say, gives them back a little bit of that agency so that mm, when they take damage, they feel like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, making your dexterity saving throw is in world agency the character is jumping out of the way but it isn't actually agency in the hands of the players because the gm yeah. says make a deck save make a deck like, oh, save. well yeah. i guess i'm making a deck save now mm. but the other you know uh, speaking again to the the first chapter of fables is this idea that the players can largely see the danger like they can see the trap and what it might do to them but it doesn't mean they just because they know it's there, they can just navigate around it, which can often happen with those sprung and done traps of just like, oh, well, I use my thieves tools. Did I succeed the check or not? You know, yeah. um, which I really love about it. So if you want to check out the first chapter of Fables, uh, like I said, there'll be a link in the show notes uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes um, or in the comment section or the, the description to this video if you're on YouTube. Um, it is still available. You can get the first 12 months of Fables for $9.99. Um, each month uh, if you subscribe before the end of December. Uh, so you've got about two weeks from when this video Woo! is live and then it'll be $14.99 after that for each chapter or episode, I should say, as they release over the months. James, this is the last month before Fables is birthed into the world. Uh, this is <laughs> one of your final opportunities to really talk about Fables before it's been seen by other people. Do you have any final final expression guttural cries of of excitement and or despair to to give (laughs) (laughs) from the depths of my soul Ah! no uh all i have to say for people who have not uh checked out the fables demo yet for people who are thinking about it for people who are uh excited for what uh what grim new horrors will await in this very first fable let me just say, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Indeed. Also, Ben, sorry, I, I, I can't help but get in the weeds with you on this one. When Please. you're talking about these traps, are you talking about the 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 crystal ball, the crystal eye in the, in the middle of yeah. the room? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I knew you were talking about this one because this one is super duper cool. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I won't, you know, I, I won't spoil how it works because I want the players to figure it out. But that one was a really fun trap to build around because it's like a, it's a dungeon central trap. It affects what happens uh, at the end of the dungeon. So it's like mm. uh, I, I expect ninety percent of all players to get caught by this trap um, and for it to have a major, major effect. But if they don't, uh, if they manage to play really, really cleverly and avoid it right then they will their characters will get a sneak peek of something that they otherwise wouldn't see until episode 6 of the mm. of this series they they i mean they they get to see the entrance of the final dungeon before they actually yeah. uh, begin the adventure really um yes yeah, so th- that trap is very cool i'm very excited uh for, so for people curious. to bypass it mm-hmm. um and the other thing about Fables is that you'll also get a sneak peek in the first, maybe not the first chapter, but in the first episode releasing in January um, of some of the monsters coming in the Monster Grimoire. I know there's something when I was yes. reading through Fables, I was like, what is this thing? This thing is really cool. And then found it in the Monster Grimoire uh, a couple of weeks later when I was reading through that. So exciting times all around for 2022. Oh, um, yeah. Dale, speaking of your videos, uh, you did a video, uh, and I'm going to put a link right there, over there somewhere, probably on the far side of the screen from where I am, uh, to this video recently, um, which I believe, you could correct me if I'm wrong, you, you called this an apology to Sean Merwin, um, where you talked about the thing, the thing that I took from this video that really stuck with me, because I've heard this opinion expressed a couple times, is this idea that um, D&D or 5th edition D&D is uh, very 
it, it, it evokes one style of fantasy or, or at least, you know, um, it's not quite as hackable as people think that it is or, or tend to, to believe that it is. And you'll run into problems if you try to represent other genres, other ideas through 5th edition D&D. And I think that's very true. As someone who likes dark fantasy, I know, I know, um, <laughs> it, you run into problems very quickly when you're trying to represent low dark fantasy when every time a wizard crawls through a bog and stands up at the far end, they just squeegee clean their clothes using a spell and then they're you know completely fine again um and i just want to drill down into that a little more whether that is a shared opinion um and how to tackle other genres if you want to in fifth edition um because i there's a there's a debate i feel like i'm going to really start to get into the (laughs) the weeds here but there there is a debate that i've seen online which is like you know if you love tabletop role-playing games you really should look beyond fifth edition and and try other types of role-playing games and i think that that's very true but i think that fifth edition there's something about it that it's like vanilla ice cream but it's not vanilla ice cream it's really chocolate ice cream but if you ate nothing but chocolate ice cream you'd think that it was the only taste of ice cream that there was now i'm just rambling but i guess what i'm saying is um uh uh, do you want to elaborate on on what what is the type of fantasy that fifth edition is and uh, why don't you think you can kind of stray beyond that uh, at, at face value? Because I know in that video you did start to experiment a little bit with it. Yeah, yeah, because I I do absolutely agree with all the things that you've just said, all the things that people tell me, all the things that people told me over and over and over again in the comments of this particular video. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I call I called this video uh, me betraying Sean Merwin for, right. for 26 minutes um, because we, in a previous episode, it might have been the Halloween episode of, of the Eldritch Lawcraft, we talked about um, about running horror or, or spooky games rather than horror games in fifth edition, and uh, the idea that because five E is designed, I to me I think it is specifically designed to evoke quite high heroic fantasy. Right? There's a lot of magic. Magic is everywhere. High fantasy heroes can do all sorts of cool stuff all the time. Um, And I think that the game is designed with that in mind. I think the way that magic works in the system encourages that that thought process. Um, And we sort of talked about how, you know, you probably probably can't effectively run horror with the fifth edition system. And you maybe shouldn't because there are all these other games that can do that, that are are built for it. And that mechanics built for purpose, um, you know, will, will often be more effective. Um, but what, after we after we recorded that episode, I had it I had it stuck in my head. I had that conversation stuck in my head, even though I agreed with it. And then I watched Scream at a friend's house for the first time. Uh, and with Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and I was like, "Ooh, isn't this interesting?" Because it's because it's a meta horror, right? It breaks down a lot of the uh, the tropes of horror that came before it. So I started thinking about horror tropes in general, specifically as they applied to sort of teen slashes. And then what it ended up being was um, just just sort of a, a design experiment, right? Like if, if you are interested in designing tabletop RPGs, I think it's very important that you go and you play games other than fifth edition. But I did get curious as a designer thinking, how can I make 5e be a horror game, have it evoke teen slasher of the 90s with as few changes to the rules as possible. And uh, and that's what the video ended up being, sort of this idea. I didn't want to write anything new. Um, I didn't want to create anything new. So, so sort of just rearranging what was already there. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think it, it became this thing. We, we've talked previously about the idea that um, different mechanics can be used to evoke the same thing, but on the other side of that, the same mechanic given different flavor sentences can be used to evoke different things. And that's kind of what I was playing with there. Um, so I don't know, even though I do firmly still believe that fifth edition is not built for certain genres, maybe I'm just wrong. <laughs> so my apologies to Sean Merwin. I, I do feel bad for betraying you for 26 minutes straight. Um, <laughs> I don't feel betrayed and I want to see this game that you're coming up with because I want to see fifth edition used in a lot of different ways. And what you were talking about made perfect sense 
And then you said with making as few changes as possible. And that's the important part right there, because you can do lots of different things with fifth edition. Uh, because fifth, what is fifth edition but a bunch of abilities that you have a proficiency for that you roll a d20 and add to? You can make those skills anything you want. You can make those ability scores anything you want. Sometimes it's, with advantage or disadvantage. It's precisely, precisely. Uh, as we talked about before, what the the issue becomes how powerful can a character be and still feel horror that's the that's the crux of the question i think because fifth edition makes characters pretty powerful at first level with the ability to cast spells and the ability to to go beyond what a normal person can do and so it really comes down more not to the uh, uh, mechanics of fifth edition, but what is horror and you know what is fantasy horror as opposed to teen slasher horror as opposed to meta horror mm. you know, as opposed to supernatural horror. You know, you can go on and on and on. Yeah, ghost uh, movie versus a zombie movie, even like completely right. different tropes. Yeah, because because like Lovecraftian horror is no matter how good you are, you are still no match for the elder gods and Cthulhu and all of those. The gentleman. Hor- right, uh, the gentleman <laughs> who is definitely right a C- Cthuloid. Uh, it's staring at me still as I move. Its eyes are following me and I'm going to see it in my sleep tonight. But, you know, that's, that's the question. And I think that's the bigger question of how many different kinds of fantasy are there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, I set that challenge for myself of not wanting to write anything new, but I did have to rearrange things in a very dramatic way. Right. I I don't think that you could really evoke the feeling of, um, you know, the kind of horror that I'm talking about while playing as a rogue and a cleric and a a wizard. So uh, what I did instead was I took class mechanics uh, from all over the place and rearranged them into their own little packets. And I called like, this is the jock, which was mostly fighter stuff that was, you know, given different titles, I will admit, but you know, and you say the goofball who gets a little bit of, a little bit of uh, bard and a little bit of cleric and a little bit of, you know, the prep ended up with a weird mix of like paladin and barbarian abilities, but um, just taking those, not changing them, but repackaging them just to, to just a new skin that says, yes, you are the rich kid, um, which made a world of difference, but I suppose it also does uh, sort of leave room for people to sort of say, okay, but is this really changing as few rules as possible when you are basically creating new classes with what's already there? Personally, I was very pleased with how it turned out. I think I came up with a couple of cool optional mechanics that are I think I'm an unappreciated genius in my time, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> well, you're appreciated by at least a few people here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I thank you. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. Oh uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. I was going to say what I what I actually liked about it is, you know, I think that a lot of people who want to hack fifth edition, and um, I might go into some reasons because I have thoughts about why you would, as opposed to playing other systems. But what I liked about it, Dale, was the fact that you came up with you know new classes, and those only went really to fifth level. Is accepting that like. Not all of 5th edition is appropriate for certain genres, you know. I I very much think that gothic horror, Lovecraftian horror, um, existential dread, all that sort of stuff can very much play into... Uh, fifth edition, and in fact, one of our uh, commenters on one of, on I think the Halloween video said that you know just because you can't personally be threatened doesn't mean you can't be horrified by something, um, and I think that's very true. But once you start to get to levels like ten, eleven, twelve, that's when it does really start to break down because players can you know characters can get such crazy combinations. I had a uh, someone multiclassed a monk and a rogue or something, and they had evasion and advantage on dexterity saves. I can't even remember what, but basically they just could not be touched. Their armor class was like nineteen twenty uh, at thirteenth level, so it was just nothing I could do to, to you know dexterity save, dodged out of the way, hit them, tanked it on the armor, or dodged out of the way or whatever it was. Um, going into way too much fidelity about this one specific character but anyway the point being that i think that if you take fifth edition and kind of don't feel tied to needing to use all of it 
then it becomes much easier to kind of see how it can be hacked for for different systems. Even if as a GM you say, all right, for this game, there's four of us. One of you play a spellcaster and the others choose a martial class, right? And and as long as all players agree to that, that that's the game that they want to play, then I think that it's fine not to not to have all options available all the time. It feels really interesting to me that if you look at a game, I'm thinking specifically of Powered by the Apocalypse. There's a lot of games that are powered by the Apocalypse, um, using Apocalypse World as uh, as a chassis to do a lot of wild new things. Um, but still keeping the basic mechanical underpinning intact. Those games are, I, I think, seen as highly legitimate new indie RPGs based off of an Apocalypse World core. But if you use the 5e SRD, even in a limited capacity, I feel like there's kind of a, a stigma that surrounds hacking D&D to do what you want it to do. Um, and I maybe that's just because it seems kind of like if D&D is uh, everyone's first RPG, then maybe it's a little bit immature. Maybe you haven't, you know, you haven't progressed beyond D&D and, mm. and, you know, found something more mature than, than that game. Uh, sorry, I, I, sh I shouldn't demonize people who uh, who love indie RPGs. I love indie RPGs also. I'm about to go <laughs> um, further in a minute. Demonize them if you want. I, 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 I'll, I agree I'll with demonize you. Demonize jerk bags is who I'll demonize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people yeah. who poo-poo other people's, uh, people um, who yuck other people's yum, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. You know, I, I see the attitude online a lot that, you know, sort of suggests, and I don't mean to make any broad statements against people, against anyone, but, you know, like you should play other systems other than fifth edition D&D &D. and learning a new game system, you know, maybe it's not quite as intensive. Maybe this is a bit of a false equivalency, but it's like learning a new language, right? Um, you have to learn how that system works. And then the, the opposite argument comes in at like, there's lots of light, easy systems to learn. You know, they don't all have to be as crunchy as D&D, &D, but maybe I want to play something as crunchy as fifth edition D&D &D for, for yeah. as crunchy as it is, um, you know, that evokes a science fiction feel or a horror feel or whatever it happens to be. Um, I, I kind of to when I this is going to be really dumb, but when I I owned an Xbox for years, um, years and years and years, and then I went over to PlayStation and had a PlayStation instead, and the four buttons on the face of the the um, Xbox uh, and the PlayStation, the A Y X B and circle square triangle X. I had no idea what the tri where the triangle was. You know, I still had to try even to this day. I know exactly where the Swapping Y to is. Swapping to switch was was extra hard because they're right. the same letters for switch but they're in different positions yeah it's yeah. evil it's truly evil <laughs> and like complicate that we by, by. <laughs> complicate that oh, yeah. there's two gaming consoles are there an xbox and a switch <laughs> um that, that that's kind of what it's like learning a new game system right is even even when we were playing fate in the future um we fell into patterns of playing it like it was fifth edition because that was the the language that we knew to to kind of translate. So that's my TED talk on why it's okay. I encourage people to learn new systems, but why it's okay to stick with five E. See, that's what this you is do. this is a great yeah. This is a great segue to me complaining for a little while because <laughs> okay, I make these videos from time to time. I'm interested like the way that I have fun as a GM is that I hack the system, right? Mm -hmm. So I make these videos about Dungeons and Dragons and I say, let me pose a philosophical question. What if D&D 5th edition didn't have levels? How would that look? And I sort of play that out in video and I get all these comments all the time from everyone saying, oh, at that point, it's not even 5th edition, just play another game. Mm. And then somehow they get even angrier if I say that I do play other games. And so there's really no way to win. But you kind Have of- you've you end up enlightened, Dale. <laughs> How did just... you regress back into the darkness? No! Um, and it's it's this strange place where you're torn between people who um, love D&D, &D, and mm. so they don't think that you should mess with the system, and people who um, are kind of at the point of villainizing D&D &D fully, and so they don't want you to play D&D &D at all, so you kind of end up in this weird limbo where everyone's unhappy with you. Um, I would like to point out to everyone who commented on my Horror 5e video, the Kids on Bikes as a system actually is not great for running a teen slasher horror game. 
So Dave just because Jock. it says Jock doesn't mean it's the same thing. But, um, you know, I so the thing that I need people to understand, there are, you know, any number of reasons that I that I talk about fifth edition and I hack fifth edition for my YouTube channel. You know, part of it is that this is my livelihood. This is my job and I need to make money and more people are searching D&D. Like, let's mm, let's just mm. put that one right up top. For sure. But also what Ben is saying is is that there's this shared language because D&D is so popular. There's a shared language that makes it really easy to talk about design with regards to Dungeons and Dragons in a way that people will be able to understand what you're saying. If I started talking about kids on bikes and, and hacking that system, I would require that everyone understood that system as well as I do. And that's, you're just not going to get the same level of stuff. At the same time, if we're talking about indie games, if I'm publicly hacking this system and saying, I don't like how this class works, so I'm gonna change it, that's fine if I'm talking about D&D, who's this huge, powerful monolith who, no matter what I say, it's not going to affect them. But it has real tangible effects of punching down if I'm talking to, you know, John Gilmore, if I'm talking to uh, even, even you know, Green Ronin games who are, mm. you know, relatively up there. It still has an effect on them and their sales and their reputation. All those. I'm not saying that I'm like a big deal, but I'm saying, you know, talk is everything in the indie space. Um, so that's that's a lot of things. But the thing that I think is the most important that people just don't seem to understand is that this is how I have fun. Lots of GMs have fun in different ways. And the way that I have fun is that I mess around with the system. So when I play Kids on Bikes, I hack the system. When I play the <laughs> Dragon Age RPG, I hack the system. When I play Pathfinder, I hack the system. When I play Fate, I hack the... No matter what I'm playing, I mess around with the rules just because I think that that's fun. I like getting in and I like tinkering with it. So, you know, my, my YouTube videos are me sharing what I've done. And it just so happens that I'm sharing the D&D ones because I think it would be in, in poor taste to say, hey, I rewrote the entire dice rolling system for kids on bikes. Sure. You know, uh, that's my personal opinion on why people hack and why people hack fifth edition specifically. I think that there's probably a lot of people who are hacking everything, but we're only publicly showing the fifth edition stuff because of <laughs> a million different little reasons. Yeah. Can we just and flip that entire segment? Can we publish that as like a standalone yeah. thing? Like that, <laughs> exactly. that was incredible. That was wonderful. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why do we play these role-playing games? We play them because we want to tell a specific story with, with a group of friends. And if the machine that you're using to get that output of that story isn't creating that output, there are certain things you can do. You can replace the whole machine with a new machine that is more likely to give you that output, or you can take pieces off the machine and you can tinker with it in a way that will hopefully give you that output, that outcome that you are looking for. And neither way is right and neither way is wrong because the 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 fun of it is the process of figuring out how to do that mm. i so, love this metaphor thank you i appreciate that and that's what all game design is whether you whether you're playing DD or running DD or tinkering with DD or creating your very own system you always have to be thinking of that what's the point of this what do what do we how do we want the players to feel how do we want to feel as the gm running the game and then how do we want that outcome to be and the mechanics are important because they are ways to get there uh, and the mechanics that you choose will drastically change that outcome mm. so you know it's it's an experimental process to make the game be exactly what you want it to be and if you want to run it totally as is right down to the very last adjective in the spell descriptions, you can totally do that. That's fine. That's a totally cromulent way to play the game. Uh, but there are people that are not going to want to do that, and that's okay too. Mm. Yeah, and the only thing that's wrong is hounding people for doing it in a way that's different to you. That is also a hobby that many people have in this industry, <laughs> I, I've found. Yeah, Dale, it's just it's how, how they I have, have fun, fun with the game. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to harass you online. That's how I have fun. That's terrible. Um, please, nobody clip that part of the video out. Um, all right. Well, with all that said, <laughs> let's because we've talked uh, uh, pretty extensively about um, you know horror. Obviously, well documented dark fantasy uh, through Grim Hollow does a good good job. I think of evoking that sort of stuff. Throwing just some random 
you know, genres out there. How would you hack 5e to do, um, let's say, historical fantasy or something that is very, you know, set in the Roman Empire? Doesn't fantasy still part of that? Doesn't have to be like fully historically accurate. You don't have to do the rise of Caesar. And if one thing goes wrong, it's, you know, what if Caesar never rose to power or what if Caesar is the BBEG of your campaign? Um, what changes would you make to 5e? You know, it doesn't have to be Caesar. It could be Vikings, could be anything um, to make it more historical realism. C- Caesar was a BBEG of many real people's campaign. That's, that's in true. In that time period. That is true. That like is the Gauls. Yeah. And look at that. The Germanics actually got him. They won that campaign. <laughs> there you go. You're playing as the conspirators, you know. Brutus is a, is is a yeah. what, a level level seven fighter? Rogue, yeah. no, he stabbed him. Um anyway. Is this dark? Is this a dark conversation? I'm not sure. Oh my gosh. I, I'm I, I would get worried if I, <laughs> if I were surrounded by if I was surrounded by thirty-two people with one level of rogue, I would be very worried, no matter how high <laughs> level I was. Yeah, true. Uh, you're true. all getting sneak attack off of this. Um, Done goofed. Should have listened to that divination wizard. I guess. Uh, I guess with that question though, like, does five E still work if you try to strip the majority of magic out of it? You say the only magic class that's available is a druid. And you, even though that's probably one of the most magical classes being able to transform into animals um, or a bard, you know, they're the only two magical classes available oh, to you. Be a good one. Um, or when you're playing a paladin, when you divine smite instead of like it being Was like Mark a magical. Was Mark Antony a bard? There you go. The big questions. The big yeah. questions. All right. No, new question. Let's go through history <laughs> and assign a class to like everybody <laughs> who lived around. Uh, King Arthur, is he a paladin? <laughs> or is he a green knight? Well, I, I think to get to the actual question, yes. we have to remember that they did not necessarily think that magic did not exist back then. Yes. So you could run a historical campaign and use magic because they believed in certain types of magic. Uh, and you may have to scale it back a bit or change the way that it works. Mm. Uh so you, you can still have wizards doing spells, but like uh, the last episode or a future episode, I don't know which, that <laughs> I talked about the player who brought technology into the world and was his magic missiles were a Roman candle. Yes. You could still do that as, this, uh, as the magic in a historical realm. It's why I like just quickly hearkening um, back to the, the previous episode is... Um, Two shows, Vikings and uh, The Last Kingdom, are two TV shows that are both kind of set in, you know, old England uh, during the Viking era. Um, And hot tip for anybody, if you watch Vikings up until, I think, season three um, and then start The Last Kingdom, they actually almost sequel into each other seamlessly. But the thing that I like about uh, the way that uh, magic is represented in those shows is that they're presented as being historical in some, neither of them are actually historically accurate for the record. I'm aware of that um, before I get comments, but uh, they're presented as being like uh, having historical realism to them, but present magic as almost like coincidences. You know, there's one character who dies and they believe that this character is in Niflheim um, suffering and that they've passed over into Valhalla when they see a rainbow uh, in the sky. And it's like, like, was that rainbow, like, is that magic? Is this a magic show or did that rainbow just happen to be there? Because it was raining earlier in this scene, you know? Like, I love the the kind of, like, signs and stuff. It's a little bit like magic, magic in the, um, yeah, it's a little bit like magic in the Mary Stuart Merlin trilogy mm. where he is magic, absolutely, but, like, casting spells is really, it's a lot. So the magic usually takes the form of, yeah, signs and symbols, Um yeah, that's kind of cool. I also, I mean, one of my favorite shows that I would love to make a D&D game that was that sort of fed into it is uh, Kingdom, actually, which a lot of people mistake for The Last Kingdom. Kingdom, yeah. which is a, a Korean show oh, about zombies. Oh, the Korean zombies. zombie show. 
Yes. It's so good. It's one of my it's one of my all time favorite zombie texts. It's just so good. Um, but the other thing that was great about it was that it's a it's a historical setting, but it's one that we're not particularly used to because it's Joseon period in Korea, mm. and just in the West we don't really talk about that so much. But they they have guns, but then they're super super limited it's sort of uh, the equivalent of victorian era in terms of technology so the whole way through the show it's mostly swords uh bows and arrows and like they've got like one gun for most of the show but it's it's that sort of really limiting the scope of what players can do uh in order to evoke these different things so what were you going to say james um i don't know <laughs> Come on, it doesn't matter it was a passing thought there, there will be three more of them in the next couple of minutes um all right well it, uh, it also go ahead sean As a, you, you could also go back to the question that we've answered before what are hit points yeah uh, because mm. if if hit points are more social standing as opposed to your physical health you can heal people's hit points you can cast cure wounds but what are you really doing you're bolstering their resolve Mm. All right, hit points are your will to go Ooh, on, I like as it. opposed to to actual physical damage. It all ties in. That's what yes. in sorry in the horror five e. I ended up changing it all ties together. I ended up changing uh, hit points to luck points because I wanted it to represent that idea of your luck has run out. Mm. Um, but mm -hmm. when you take a breather and when the goofball makes a joke about the situation you're in, you feel a little bit better about yourself, and you know your luck kind of rises again. So that's a well, great I point from Sean. <laughs> that, that actually kind of solves a lot of the problems about hit points that I was talking about too, where it's hit points are a punishment for screwing up. But if hit points just kind of represent how lucky you are to avoid uh, danger, then the, the fact that you had no input on whether or not you lost hit points actually doesn't bother me that much. It's just mm. bad luck. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could, I, I really liked Dale in that video, you talked about keeping hit points secret from the players so that they don't know when their luck is running out. I like the idea of, because this was this was asked to me by a player. I might have mentioned it when we were talking about um, hit points. They were like, "It just feels a bit weird that we keep getting like slashes and gashes, but then we're fine." You know, even five minutes later because we're getting healed, or or not even. We're just still walking around um, with half our mm -hmm. hit points. I like the idea of like you know, you roll the dice, you see that the attack hits, you tell the player, "All right, this attack has mechanically hit you. Describe to me how you avoid it." what happens to for you to get out of the way of this attack uh, and how are you using up your luck so that you're not describing a hit being a physical hit but a um a near miss if you will mm -hmm. um which might have even been a and word I mean you used yeah well i mean the the idea of hit points i mean this is this is becoming central right to the idea of genre because when you talk about horror it's perfectly reasonable when you're when you're looking at horror texts to go okay well this person got caught in a bear trap and they got you know slashed across the back but they're fine they're fine they're fine until the moment suddenly the bad guy you know breaks through the wall and kills them in one shot which was something that i reflected in the idea that um one of the actual mechanical changes that i made was that when you run out of hit points you don't fall unconscious you don't know because the because the gm is tracking your hit points for you you don't know that you've run out of luck and so the next time you take damage you're just done you're dead um and that really works for horror but does that reflect in sci-fi? Does that reflect mm. in a drama game? Like once once you start changing genre again, do you have to start messing around again with hit points? Um, you know, you talked about the the historical sort of setting for a game. I I wonder whether part of that might be just taking the emphasis on combat and damage entirely, put the focus on, you know, the social part of the game, the, mm. the exploration pillar of the game, and just really diminish the importance of combat. But I suppose once again you end up with that question at what point is is it the ship of theseus you know at what point is this not 5e anymore what does if that if you're doing if you're trying to do something kind of historically realistic it it really makes you think about the way that the human body can take punishment because it's really not a hit point system you know uh, you're you know you can you can take a blow to the leg and and be fine for every you know every other part of your body or Sometimes you just take a you take a bullet wound to a non-vitalary and suddenly the shock kills you, right? Uh, the the way that hit points work are a fine approximation for a very specific type of game. And maybe if you're doing a historical game, you might want to do something like afflictions, where you have a broken leg, 
but uh, as long as you have not taken a mortal wound yet, you're still good to go. You know what else you could do? What Sean was saying about, uh, you know, hit points suddenly represent your social standing. What if, what if you basically just took the system as it exists for combat and just used it? I, I mean, I've seen people talk about doing this, mm. just applying that to social like repartee, right? If you're playing a highly political, you know, this is the Roman Republic and we're all negotiating and trying to keep Caesar out of power. Maybe that combat becomes just verbal sparring. And instead of it being, you know, you have this weapon proficiency, it's like, well, you have you know, proficiency and intimidation, right? Use those skills and just apply that pre-existing mechanical system that people already understand to uh, to the social pillar of the game. That could be fun. Mm. Some people swear by it. Uh, well, quickly uh, cutting across to a another very uh, topical genre. How would you do a Christmas adventure or a, a seasonal <gasps> adventure? Uh, what are, you know, the monsters you'd use, the, the law that you would draw right. upon? Uh, what, what do you think would well, make Well, first her... I would run Fate. And <laughs> right, yeah, I think I, I, would, I would run yeah. Fate Accelerated. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's okay. probably a good idea. All right. um, yeah, no, the bad I'm... guy could be, mm, the bad guy could be someone who, I don't know, is giving gifts, but they're bad. Yes. <laughs> that was, yes, what no. a great idea. I'm loving this. Yeah. I'm loving this. I bet Ben's going to steal all this. I'm going to write this down, <laughs> actually. Believe. Let me just... Uh, that rat. <laughs> let me just get this all down uh, on paper. <laughs> um, well, I think that is going to do it. This is actually the last episode that we're recording for this year. Next uh, episode, next week, we're still here. We're not missing a beat. We will be here next week as well uh, with the Eldritch Lawcast. But as... Uh, my fellows are alluding to. We have something a little bit special for the next two weeks uh, for you to listen to while you're possibly travelling to and from relatives if you are going to relatives or whatever it is uh, you're celebrating or or just hope you have a nice break uh, if you are taking some time off over the, the holiday period. Um, if you want to keep the conversation going, uh, talk to us over Twitter. We have our Twitter handles just below our names or if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or somewhere else uh, where you can't see us, uh, you can email podcast at ghostfiregaming.com. Ask us a question. Uh, I would love to come back to a full inbox next year to start uh, continuing this podcast and answering more questions and having more debate because now I want to talk about how social encounters work in the game and whether a combat system works for it. But we don't have time, Dale. We don't have time here for that conversation. So that'll have Drat. to wait uh until next year uh james any parting thoughts on 2021 uh i i just want to echo what you're saying ben please please force us to have an episode where we do nothing but burn through your questions uh <laughs> make us draw every topic from things that you want to know rather than just whatever nonsense we want to spout off here. <laughs> uh, and if Sean you can get us fighting with each other even better Whereas yeah. we're screaming red faced and pointing at, at each other. <laughs> yeah, at the screen. We, we get along That's too well at the moment. It'll be just like Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I'll betray Sean Moen once again. <laughs> once again. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, even if you, uh, it's just occurred to me, leave a comment uh, down below on the YouTube video if that's where you're watching this as well. We we do read through those. So leave us a comment there and I'll pluck a few of those out to, to mill over uh, during the Christmas break. But until next year, uh, have a very safe, a very happy holidays. Uh, I've been Ben Byrne, as always, with Dale Kingsmill, Sean Merwin, James Hake, Go out like Christmas cheer and spread the word of the Eldritch Lawcast. Uh, and until 2022, we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>